In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. When he returned to Capernaum, some time later, word went around that he was in the house. And so many people collected that there was no room left even in the front of the door. He was preaching the word to them. When some people came, bringing him a paralytic, carried about four men. But as they could not get the man to him through the crowd, they stripped the roof over the place where Jesus was. And when they had made an opening, they lowered the stretcher on which the paralytic lay. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, My child, your sins are forgiven. Christ appears in this passage as the only true liberator. Four friends bring a paralytic whom they are eager to see rid of a disease that keeps him on a stretcher. After strenuous effort to carry him to Jesus, they listen to the words addressed by our Lord to their friend, my son, your sins are forgiven. It's unlikely that they expected to hear this kind of address from the master to the invalid. But Christ lets us see that the worst of all oppressions the most tragic of all slaveries from which man can suffer is sin. It's not just one evil among the many other evils that afflict creatures, but the gravest. The only thing that is evil in absolute terms. The men carrying the paralytic understand that Jesus has given their incapacitated friend the greatest good, freedom from his own sins. And we can't forget what a great contribution to the common good that it is to do everything possible to exile sin from the world. On many occasions, the greatest favour, the greatest good we can do to a friend, to a brother, to parents, to children, is to help them see the beauty of divine mercy in the sacrament of penance. It's a good for the family, for the church, for the whole of humanity. Even though here on earth, very few know about it. Christ frees from sin with his divine power, 
Who can forgive sins except God, we're told. It was for this that he came on earth. And so St. Paul says to the Ephesians, God who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And after forgiving the paralytic his sins, Jesus also cured his physical infirmity. The man must have understood in that very instant that his gracious good fortune that day had been the first cure. To have felt his soul pierced through and through by divine mercy and to be able to look at Jesus with a clean heart. The paralytic was cleaned, was healed, body and soul. And his friends are an example for us of how we should help others through our friendship mainly cooperating in apostolic initiatives and fostering the good of society with all the means at our disposal, working for the common good, for a decent life and culture, offering positive solutions when faced with evil. We should do this in our own professional circumstances as well as in many other environments in which we happen to be involved. Neighborhood groups, parents associations, parish organizations. It's here that we can cooperate in the building up of good and avoid cooperation in anything that is evil. Frequently in social life, many may become spectators in the face of the serious problems that are affecting them, their children, or their social environment. We have to ask the Holy Spirit for lights so that we can see things and see solutions and think ahead and think out of the box. So that we're not just mere spectators observing the scene. We're not just standing on the sidelines watching other people play the game. Christ wants us as his followers out on the pitch, playing the game, scoring the goals. He wants us to be full of initiative. He doesn't want us to be cooperating in evil and in things that might be illegal, business dealings under the table, prescribing contraceptives or performing abortions or assisting at such operations or selling things in our pharmacy that should not be sold or teaching children wrong things in classrooms that are not morally upright. We have to try and think of all sorts of solutions 
and create an environment in our profession whereby those who come after us can find it easier to lead a good professional life. They have, been mis they have the mistaken notion, we're told, one spiritual writer, that others should be the ones to take the initiative, to stop evil and to do good. They content themselves with sterile complaint. A Christian cannot behave in this passive way because he knows that he should be leavened within society. In the midst of human affairs, what the soul is in the body, Christians are in the world. And the Second Vatican Council said the positive obligation of cooperating in good should lead every Christian to bring Christ's message to every human activity, professional work included, in the best way he or she can. That may mean starting schools. It might mean starting a hospital or some other good work that's going to help many people, maybe a hospice, care for the dying. All of these purposes of these institutions to reflect the Christian spirit, to look after people in a Christian way, and also to make sure that nothing wrong or evil is done. The true Christian can't just avoid evil, doing evil himself, and being careless about the influence that his actions may have on the behavior of others. Christian has to be a leader, has to be seen to be such. The friends of the paralytic did not limit themselves to not doing evil. They were full of initiative. They looked for solutions. The sky was the limit. They act. They help the sick man to get closer to Jesus. They help him in his desire to get well by paving the way for our Lord's miracle. Your sins are forgiven. I was very impressed many years ago in the living room of the house of a general practitioner with two or three other people to hear him talking about how he wanted to see if they could insert into the Constitution a phrase to make sure that abortion could never be legalized in that country. And from that small gathering, and yet many other small gatherings with many other small groups of people, a whole movement was initiated in society that ended up getting a 70% majority of voters to vote in favour of inserting that clause into the Constitution. And that clause lasted for over 50 years. It's amazing what a few people can do with their initiative, great things begin in small ways. And we all have to see how I can cooperate in the good to build that civilization of love that Pope John Paul II talked about, the culture of life. And cooperating in good implies avoiding any cooperation with evil, 
not only in important decisions, but also in the small ways that easily light a hand. Not wasting money, even only small amounts, on magazines, our newspapers, our books, our shows, our entertainment, which because of their sectarian, anti-Christian or immoral character, damage the soul. Buying one's newspaper at a particular newsstand, even if it means a longer walk, rather than from one where publications are sold attacking the church or Christian morals, or avoiding a pharmacy selling contraceptives, or not buying a certain product, possibly very good, which is advertised on an immoral or anti-Catholic program on the radio or TV. And our action will be even more effective we suggest a similar line of conduct to our friends. If lukewarm Christians were to stop buying certain magazines, publications, newspapers, many of these would not survive. It's regrettable that on many occasions, much of the immense damage caused is being subsidized by Christians or at the same time, may often be complaining about society's moral ruin. It's also very good to point out to people in Christian countries, or formerly Christian countries, how the Christian environment was brought about by many dedicated people in schools, in hospitals, influencing government, governments, Christians living out a Christian vocation to the full. A Christian has to cooperate in the common good by seeking and offering positive solutions to the perennial problems. He or she can't limit himself or herself to simply not voting for a party or a program which attacks Christian family values or is against freedom in teaching, or favours legislation directed against life from its conception. For some people, it means if they have the capacity, they should go forward to be active in public life, to make a splash, to leave a mark, doing what they can. Many years ago in a country that were drafting a new constitution, and 35 members, prominent members of each profession were selected. And one particular person to draft that constitution, one particular person, uh, his name ended with a V and he was going to be the last then to vote and there were an uneven number of votes so that if there was a problem, the uneven number would carry the vote. And these people were debating what concept to put into the constitution. And some people supported the idea of having the greatest good for the greatest majority, which sounds very good. It sounds democratic. But the problem with that is what happens to the minorities. And so this person with the 
deep Christian formation, was very aware of this, and was also aware that the one Muslim representative of the Muslim minority in that country had voted in favour of the gracious good for the gracious majority. And so this person said to this Muslim with great respect, Your Honour, if we have the gracious good for the gracious majority, and the Catholic majority in this country decide to kill all the Muslims, well then constitutionally that would be correct. And so when that was pointed out, immediately the Honourable Muslim changed his opinion to the idea of the common good. The common good, which means the defence of the well-being of each individual person in society, no matter who they are or where they're from. And so there may be all sorts of opportunities that crop up that we have of doing good, of sowing the mustard seeds, which can be for the benefit of many people in society in the long term. And so we need to conduct a constant, deep doctrinal apostolate, free from false prudence, and not be afraid of going against the mainstream and issues that are vital for society itself, and upon which there is often complete disorientation, or else a partial truth that often causes more confusion. A student told me recently how in the class he was attending, the lady professor was talking about capital punishment and how we all have to be against capital punishment and do what we can to remove it. And so he put up his hand and he asked the teacher, well, um, miss, are you pro-life or pro-choice? And she said, oh, I'm pro-choice, of course. And he pointed out the incongruity of being against capital punishment, but yes, being pro-choice. Sometimes the opportunities we have to correct people's thinking can be at arm's length. And so this amicable apostolate doctrine showing affection for everyone, spreading the teaching of Christ as widely as possible, and making use of every opportunity, discussions with friends, conversations, journeys with clients. This can be the leaven that ferments society. If we bring this to our prayer, will we see how the Holy Spirit will place words on our lips or helps us to see opportunities or possibilities that we can maximize to have that Christian influence. The work of re-Christianization is similar to the one undertaken by the early Christians and makes use of the same means. Good example in private and public life, prayer, friendship, nobility, personal prestige, sharing other people's concerns, showing an authentic desire for their happiness. Along with the conviction that there is no peace for the individual, for the family, or society that is distant from God. The first Christians found a social environment very distant from the doctrine that they had so much at heart. 
And our Lord has told us that we have to launch out into the deep to plant the mustard seeds, which can grow into great trees, where the birds of the air can come and make nests in their branches. Even though they oppose the customs that seem to be against every aspect of human dignity, they didn't waste their best energies in complaining about and denouncing evil. On the contrary, they chose rather to distribute the treasure they possessed by spreading it with a joyful and fraternal testimony, serving society through innumerable initiatives in the area of culture, social life, education. Then Jose Maria liked to say we have to drown evil in an abundance of good. Very often, when we're faced with problems, that can be a good idea to think of. How can I drown the evil in an abundance of good? Instead of focusing on the evil, focus on the good that we have to do. They could have spent their lives observing everything that was out of keeping with an upright life. But if they did that, they might never have given the true solution to the world at large. And so the truth is like a mustard seed, but it contains a marvelous power. You don't have to be very clever to see evil, but a deep Christian spirit is required to discover the presence of God in all circumstances. And so we need to keep our eyes open to good, like the true friends of that paralytic. And Paul talks precisely about that to the Romans, to conquer evil with an abundance of good. And so on many occasions, the Christian's task will be to point out whatever is positive, since things well done encourage us to be better and bring us closer to God. We need to be quick to notice the virtues of those around us, a friend's generosity, the industriousness of one of our colleagues, our neighbor's readiness to help, our professor's patience. And if at times we can't praise, well, let us hold our tongues. Sometimes we do a great good by just being silent. Or we may be able to be of assistance with a kind correction and our prayer. We can try to foster whatever good is born around us. Sometimes with an encouraging word. As others, with our help given in time and money. Faced with so much useless or harmful reading, we can spread news about good books that are being published. 
and also about magazines that are not unworthy of a Christian home. We could write a brief letter expressing our praise and thanks for a good show or a sound article or a good letter in the newspaper. This takes little effort and is always fruitful. Our Lord doesn't want his children to be naive when faced with life's harsh events. But he asked them never to be bitter or resentful. God wants us to see whatever is good in people and social events. He doesn't want us to spend the best years of our life denouncing or complaining, but rather giving generously from the treasure of our faith. A man told me once how a friend of his had died the previous week at the age of 42 from a heart attack and said that this friend, you know, was always complaining, always grumbling. And he said, one thing I learned from his death was not to spend my last breath grumbling. It's very good if we can be remembered as somebody who always had something positive to say, who lifted up the tone of a conversation, who encouraged others in the good they were doing. And so from giving generously from the treasure of our faith, we can help to transform people in society and help them not to forget either what's good is attractive and that it always engenders much more happiness than lukewarm does. A large family, for example, with its many demands and sacrifices, always brings about more happiness than another family which out of pure selfishness sought its well-being in a little bit more of material comfort. The joy that other people sense is always is also a way of cooperating in the good. At times it is the most fruitful one. Our Lord has called us to share in his mission, to intervene in the lives of others, so that they learn to be happy on earth and to reach heaven for which they have been created. We've received a command to extend his kingdom, a kingdom of truth and life, a kingdom of holiness and grace, a kingdom of justice, love and peace, as we're told in the preface of Christ the King. We are meant to be Christ's, says St. Maria, who pass near those who live in the world. And from him we have to learn how we have to serve and help everyone in the very fabric of society. We need no other title than that of our Christian vocation in order to spend our lives in the service of others. 
the Second Vatican Council, says the laity derive the right and duty to the apostolate from their union with Christ the head, incorporated into Christ's mystical body through baptism and strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit through confirmation. They are assigned to the apostolate by the Lord himself. Our charge and mission come from Christ. We have the right to intervene in the lives of others because the life of Christ is shared by all. And if one member falls ill or becomes weak or perhaps dies, the whole body is affected. Christ suffers and so also do the healthy members of his mystical body since all men are one in Christ, said St. Augustine. All of us so different from one another are united in Christ and charity then becomes part of life. The right to influence other people's lives becomes a joyful duty for every Christian without exception no matter how unusual his personal circumstances. St. Josemaria in the Ford, number 902, said, Jesus doesn't ask our permission to complicate our lives. He just enters them, and that's that. And we who want to be disciples, his disciples, should do the same with those who travel along our way. We should make use of the occasions that arise, as well as creating others ourselves, so as to draw souls close to God. We might suggest a good book for them to read, or give them some advice, or talk clearly to them about the need to go to confession or perhaps serve them in some other way. Our Lady went with haste to help her cousin. She teaches us always to seek to cooperate in the good, so that Jesus, her son, through his grace, may continue to work miracles on earth for the good of all men and women. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you have communicated to me during this meditation. I ask your help to put them into practice. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.